want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide. Six steps to infuse storytelling into your live videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. On today's episode is my good friend, Ms. Kim McCarter. She is a force of nature, you all. She is a force. She is so fun. She is truly authentic, 100% herself all the time. I love, love, love that about her. We tend to hang out together at events. We will find ourselves in the corner having a martini and laughing and carrying on. And then the conversation will turn to something super intense, super deep, and super powerful. And that's exactly what my experience was on today's episode. So you're going to want to stay all the way to the end and hear the juicy goodness that we get to. In this episode, we talk about what are the five human design types and how to use them energetically in your business. What is cultural agreement? This is something that Kim has coined herself. It's brilliant. And how it affects you, how it affects everyone. And how money offers you options for a very full life. Can you tell already why I love this conversation and Ms. Kim McCarter? This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Kim! I, I kind of, I kind of sang that, Kim. <laughs> Bring me all the Broadway days. <laughs> Welcome to the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. Me too. You know, okay. So we met a few years ago and I have to tell you, I just so looked up to you. I just thought, really? yeah, I really, really did. I, I just think that you are somebody who is just truly authentic you are who you are you leave no fools as they say you like you, you speak your truth I'm borrowing that <laughs> you leave no fools honey <laughs> <Killing that. laughs> you speak your truth and I really appreciate that about a human and you are who you are and there are people in the world like that and you are one of them thank you you know it actually took me a really long time to get to that space though it really did. Okay, so speak on that. I want to hear what it took to get there, to that place of authenticity. So I grew up in West Philly. And if you've never been to Philadelphia, it is a very urban city. It is a blue-collar city. It is very urban. It has some diversity, but it's still very segmented. Like, you know what I mean? So like, the Blacks live amongst the Blacks, the Irish live amongst the Irish, the Italians live amongst the Italians. And you notice how I said that, right? Yeah, I noticed. I was, that wasn't just like the whites and the whites. Like... <laughs> like, even to this day, I grew up in Philly, I was born in 78, so I'm talking like the 80s and 90s. And here, even in 2022, when I go home to visit, it is still very like that. And because I was raised by my grandmother, who was from the South, born Macon, Georgia, 1913, she had a very specific way of living because, you know, she went through the civil rights movement. She was the daughter of a sharecropper who was the grandson of a slave. Because she had a very specific way of living, she taught me how to move through society in a way where I wouldn't put a target on my back. Yeah. And then going into like, you know, school, going to college, I went to a black college. I started out at an HBCU. But then I got my first, first corporate job and she was like, this is how you need to talk to these people. This is how you need to dress. This is how you need to make sure you just go in there and get your work done. 10 times is harder, like, you know, be three times as smarter and they're not going to just see you the way that you need to be seen. And it wasn't until I was probably mid to late thirties that I really was like, this sucks. <laughs> do this like this now granted by the time that came she had already been passed like over 10 years but it was really in going through this entrepreneurship journey I thought I was going to be like the next Les Brown Lisa Nichols 
But the one thing I learned, like in being in the Les Browns training, it was the first time I went to a big training. It was like 2011. I spent like a thousand dollars just to attend. And I had people thought I was nuts. The people around me was like, you can listen to Les Brown on that CD. He mail you in the mail. <laughs> Why are you spending this kind of money to go there? And he talked so much about owning your story, telling that story and letting people see it that I was like, I can't do that. And it was more like a why not conversation. So I just started doing it slowly, but surely. till finally, I was just like, you know what? I came into entrepreneurship to totally be like, to create my own path and be who I wanted to be. And I can't do that if I was still corporate Kim. So I had to make a huge shift and adjustment. Oh, speak that again for the back row about, you know, it, you're making your own path and you can't do it without being you. It really can't. You can't be anybody else. <laughs> you just can't. And I started my business while I was still working in corporate. I was working for a company that was in medical device sales and I come from healthcare administration. Mm-hmm. So it is a very Caucasian industry. It is very like I tease and call them geriatrics, but like the most, like the men, the lead, it was men led, it was leaders. They were all like middle-aged white guys. And my boss just happened to be a woman. So when we walked in conference rooms, we were the only two women and one of us was black. (laughs) And I'm about to tell you what to do around here because guess what? You're doing it wrong, right? But when I came into entrepreneurship full-time, it was 2016. I checked all the boxes. I did over a half million dollars in business my first full-time year. And I was like, what's next? Mm. I'm going to get a job. And people thought I was nuts. They were like, what do you mean you're going back to work? I was like, I'm going back to work. And it just didn't make sense. And it was in that process of self-discovery. And we'll talk about human design. And I was like, I really need to take ownership of my path and what I want to do. And you kind of met me on the other side. You were meeting me like right on the other side of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I recognize that. And, and the pandemic sort of in between, I didn't see you. And we yeah. saw each other, you know, sort of quote unquote post pandemic. And <laughs> I saw an even greater change in you in terms of you being comfortable with what you have to offer in the world. Yeah. I'm just like, so at a place where I'm like, These are the moments we pray for. And I can honestly say that I'm in the moment that I want to manifest. So now it's just on to the next level of manifestation because I'm here now. So the goal is just bigger. The road is just brighter. And it's like totally surrendering to that and really stepping into co-creation has made such a huge difference. Yeah, because it's never been about the money. It never was. But that's what they sell us in sales and marketing, right? I know. Seven-figure business, the time freedom. I was like, okay, I have the money and I do what I want now. What what is it? Now, now what? Now what is it? I'm here. And then I had to work so hard for the money, right? And I was like, this is a lot. Like, I was like, oh, I can go get go back to to my six-figure corporate job with the company car and car and Amex. And I don't have to work this hard. (laughs) Because it's holistic. What they're not looking at is the holistic nature of your life and your business as an entrepreneur because you didn't have to take the risk then you can go back to that company card and that company car and that salary if if you're gonna have to work that hard and not have to take all this risk exactly yeah and I was like oh that's the conversation that they don't have and even though I knew risk came with business because I was in corporate leadership I understood risk I understood P&L and all those fancy terms But when you are in charge of it, you have to really be prepared for that. And a lot of times people don't realize that business has ups and downs. Like, so you actually have to be in spaces that prepare you for that. Because it's not the glory road in the Wizard of Oz that everyone makes it seem. Well, they're selling you the glory road so that you'll (laughs) buy their their course, their package, their whatever, you, you know? Exactly. But the truth is you have to look at it in the entirety of your life. Right. Yes. And, and, and what lights you up, like you were saying, now what? What what feels good? What doesn't feel good? Exactly. And be okay with standing in your truth for that. Because for a lot of people, they actually don't know how to honor that code for themselves because we are so conditioned by society that we are supposed to do certain things. It mm. has to be a certain way. And even like I always say, I love that new Gen Z generation right that's the one that's younger than the millennials like I love them because they're willing to push the status quo they're willing to have the hard conversations 
my great nephews are 19 and 16. I have twins that are 16 and a 19 year old. And he, we have best conversations because they think so differently. And they're always asking, but why do you do it that way? Right. I want to do it differently. And I love mm-hmm. those conversations because it is challenging us. But then you have people who are like, um, who are a few generations ahead of like, well, we never had to do that. They're snowflakes. And it's not that. It's just that just because that was right for your time doesn't mean it's right for this generation. And we have to give grace to allow people to pick their path. So that way they can honor their decisions with integrity. If I make a decision with integrity, I'm going to fight for it. If I'm making a decision because it's the status quo, I'm like, I don't care which way this go. This is not the hill I want to die on today. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned human design. For anybody out there that maybe isn't as familiar, I think that my audience knows a bit about human design, but Mm -hmm. if they don't, can you give a just a brief, you know, synopsis of what human, it's very complex, I know, but just a like basic 101, what is human design? Yeah. So for me, I describe human design as your personalized basic instructions before leaving earth, right? When you are first introduced to it is a tool of self-discovery. This is Mm -hmm. who I am. This is who I should be. This feels really, really good. And then once you go through that process of self-discovery and you start adapting it into your everyday way of life, it then becomes a tool to understand your life purpose, make better decisions, and really honor yourself with integrity so you really live a life that's like, damn, I did that. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I did that. And that's what I love about human design. So when it comes to like, like you said, it is complex. Like you're talking like modern and ancient sciences, astrology. It even includes like, you know, biomedical stuff in there, like quant and like physics, everything in human design is tied to like the upper part of our bodies. It uses the chakra system, all kinds of things, but I never describe it the way everyone else in human design does. I go like, have you ever made a decision and been like, why did I do that? I knew I should have just did X, Y, and Z because it just went totally wrong. Mm -hmm. And most people have experienced that at some time in their life. And I'm like, yeah, well, if you had access to your human design chart, you would have made a better decision and you would have stood by it. And even if it failed, you wouldn't have felt bad about it. And they go, oh, well, that's different. Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Truly like, oh, now that I want to hear about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find human designer? How did it find you? So remember that year that I came out of 2016, my first year of entrepreneurship, and I was like, I'm ready to go get a job. Yeah. And I was like, something is missing. And I just didn't really know what it was that was missing. So I went to a therapist because I was like, am I, am I suffering from depression? Like, I, I'm like, I need to get this figured out because something must be wrong here. And I was in my second session and she was like, you're unfulfilled. She was like, and you need to figure out what it is you want to do. And she suggested I take some personality tests. So I get in front of my Google and I do what I do, right? Because now one thing about me is I'm kind of nerdy. So once I find something that interests me, I start researching it more and more. And as I was taking these personality tests, one of them said human design. I popped in my information, which is like, you know, date, time, and location of birth. And this colorful chart came up. I had no idea what any of it meant. Um, So I started Googling the different parts of the chart. And the more I Googled and searched, the more intrigued I got. And I was like, how does this sound so much like me compared to other personality tests? Mm. And when I realized it was really based on like, you know, that location of birth and how the planets are aligned, like you receive an imprint from the universe. And I am someone who is of a Christian faith background. And I was like, well, if he created the universe and this is based on my day and time and like, like, and I was two weeks overdue and this is still so accurate. I just want to learn more because I was having a lot of thoughts that I didn't understand. And everyone was telling me my thoughts were wrong and I had to do it a certain way. And inside of this human design chart and learning about the different parts of it, it really just allowed me to explore things from such a different perspective that it was a huge shift for me. I love that. I love that, that, that you embrace that, that you stepped into it because you can hear that, you know, you get that information and go, oh, but you know, or, oh, I hear it, but I'm not sure I'm really, really willing to like step in. Yeah. And because of that, that's why I I look at my marketing like in a very specific way, right? 
So remember I said the first phase is really that tool of self-discovery. So I use like my content strategy across social speaking engagements to open people up to the possibility of a new way of looking at their self-discovery. There you go. And then in my sales conversation, I'm like, I can be your guide to understanding this. Mm -hmm. And then in a client and coaching relationship, I'm like, now let's implement this. Yeah. Right. Because I can like, I'll talk all day about human design. So throwing it on content and also like how I look at things. And when you talk about like my authenticity, I'm always looking like, how can I disrupt an industry? How can I make people see me? So I'm always looking at how can I explain this in a way where my people are going to vibe with it or people who don't even know they're my people are like, do you know Kim McCarter? Cause you should get to know Kim McCarter. Yeah. So I'm always looking like, at it from that perspective and just opening up people to that world of self-discovery, especially for, cause I deal with entrepreneurs, like that's my sector. Like it really gives them, gets them over that hump. I want to have that conversation on social. Yeah. I, I, I love this too, because oftentimes what, what it offers is this framework in a way for the different sort of archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. different but it's more complex than just that it's not like you have to be this or you have to be that it's here's your chart now with your chart how do you want to run your business that's in alignment with your way of being yes definitely so in human design we have five types and that is the generators the manifesting generators the reflectors the manifestors and our projectors And now there's 7.7 billion people in the world, right? If we segment us into five categories, like, yeah, we may have some similarities, but that's going to be it. Yeah. When you actually look at your chart and you start looking at like the things that are colored in, which we call defined and the things that are white, which we call undefined, and you learn how your energy flows, you start to realize that, especially for my community, they are the entrepreneurs, Nick, who have spent the thousands of dollars. They aren't afraid of investing. They aren't afraid of learning the next new thing. They aren't afraid of going all in, but they haven't moved the needle the way that they want to because they are doing things that are out of alignment with who they are. And once they're able to go, I'm not the webinar chick, but I am the live stream chick. I'm not the reels chick, but I'm the carousel chick or like, you know what I mean? Or I'm really more of the passive income chick than the live launch chick. Like once they learn those things for them, their businesses blow up. And when your business blows up, guess what? Life looks a lot better because I know we don't like to say it, but money gives you options. (laughs) I like to say it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I do too. Okay. Money gives you options. Like, yes. And I like money. I don't shy away from money and I get it. People have their, like, you know, their different opinions, especially when it comes to like what people like to call the ridiculously rich and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. But I always look at it like one of, I am a history buff. So I love like um, things like the men who made America series from AMC. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Rockefeller wouldn't have been able to build a thousand libraries if he wasn't a billionaire of his time. Yeah. yeah. Like, you it- know what I mean? It's about how you can give back. Like, yeah, people forget that stuff. I they really do. And I always I always say when good people get money, they do good things with their money. So why yes. don't you, as a quote unquote good person, want to get the money so you can do good things? Yes. So one of my first coaches had this quote that she used to always say to us, and she used to say, If you live well, you'll do good. And if you do good, you'll always live well. And that's a quote that stuck with me since 2011. And I was like, I want to do good in the world. And I can't do good from broke. Because in broke, you're at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. You're in survival mode. You're trying to figure out how you're going to pay your light bill, (laughs) let alone someone else's. You can't be too poor, as they say, you know, to help the poor. So it, it really is about you. And you set an example. We talk a lot with my students because I have a lot of artists, creatives, um, spiritual folk who there's these old narratives, speaking of stories, these old stories of the struggling artist, the renunciate spiritual 
coach and we talk a lot about stepping in and out of that narrative and into a fulfilled narrative so yes and don't get me wrong I know people who like who have grown up in the lower incomes of society and felt like they lived really rich lives so I don't take away from that right but I do also know that because I know my purpose is so big and I've stepped into that co-creation mode like even when it comes to business you can't run an effective business if your bottom line isn't red you can't run it like you know with a 20 percent profit margin because you're not even paying yourself mm-hmm. one of the reasons so many businesses suffered during the pandemic is because they were so they were floating so close to red in their businesses yeah and that's not a result of just the pandemic that's a result of running business for years that it couldn't sustain itself you couldn't pay employees unless you had orders coming in that's a bigger conversation that a lot of people refuse to have yeah And, you know, we see a lot on the online space of that seven-figure entrepreneur who's not making any money. Who got PPP loans. Yes. (laughs) They're not making any money, some of them. Yeah. You know, there are those that have, like, seven-figure, right? But their expenses are nearly the same. There are so many of them. And because before I was into the work I'm in now, I was a sales funnel strategist. So I built a lot of the marketing for the quote on the seven figure earners out there who marketed themselves as seven figures and their back end like was so close because they are spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on ads. Like, so you make a hundred grand a month, but you're spending 40 of it, $40,000 a month on ads. You still have to pay your employees. You still have to pay taxes and systems. After all of that, you you're floating like close to 20 grand and it's nowhere near what you even need to sustain even long term. Because if now 20 grand a month sounds great, but you still have to think about taxes. You have to think mm-hmm. about personal liabilities and all of those things. Like, it's just not a way to live. No, it's not sustainable. And like you said, one thing goes out. Let's say Facebook ads, hello, yeah. shift uh, yet again, and your business is in the toilet. And that's where a lot of those people are now because with the new privacy laws with like, you know, Apple and Google devices and like, you know, them taking things into consideration, these people who used to brag about spending are now the ones complaining about their ad costs, like triple and how they have to like restructure business. They're the first people. We're not even in a full recession yet. And they're, they're the ones having most of the conversation about like, people aren't enrolling in programs because they relied on traffic to do it. Yeah. 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 So once you found out that what your design was and you began shifting into it, first of all, what is, what is your design? What, which one of the five are you? (laughs) I am a manifesting generator, but of course, (laughs) I love it. Yes. I am a manifesting generator. Um, So that is the hybrid. Um, I'm part generator first. And then I am a manifester second. So that is the only human design type that takes two of the human designs and puts it together. So you'll speak to some people and they'll be like, oh, there's only four human design types because they lump generators and manifesting generators together. But studies have shown that manifesting generators have their own unique traits. Mm -hmm. So as a manifesting generator, I'm the person that usually can spot like what's missing in a system, what's missing in a business. I can really tell when someone is just like out of energetic alignment. I get things done really, really quickly. Like if you give me an idea and I'm like, oh, I want to do this, like I go do it. Like Mm -hmm. there's no holding back. The downside of it is because I'm moving so quickly, I don't keep others in the loop, (laughs) right? Because I'm like, you're going to slow me down. Let me go get this done, right? And that's the really the biggest challenge as a manifesting generator is reminding myself, I, I don't need your help. I just want you to know what I'm doing. So how did that then translate in your business? What changes did you make once you realized that? So the other thing about being a manifesting generator is that I actually have a lot of ideas and I like a lot of things. So one of the things that happens in business is people are like stick to one thing and write it out. I felt really stuck in that. Yeah. And I had a lot of resistance around it, but I'm also the person that's like, well, this is my coach. This is the person I'm paying. I'm going to do it this way. Right. And what was happening was I'm actually meant to put my ideas in the world. I'm meant to move from one project to the next. So a couple of things I had to learn. One, I couldn't create super structured offers. So creating a coaching offer that's like, 
a 12 month program and this is what we're talking about each month, right? That feels very stifling to someone like me. A better way to take the same offer is to be like, this is the core content and you go through it. You have 12 month access to it. And I show up once or twice a month just to coach you through whatever's going on in your business and in your life and in your mind. That feels really good. And my clients like that too, because they're drawn to that because we can have more free flowing conversations and it doesn't Mm. feel so stifling. Whereas someone who is like a reflector, for instance, their energy is not like mine. Their energy is more laid out. They have to go through a full lunar cycle to make really solid decisions. Their energy changes from week to week. They are someone who would do really well with like passive income products, being affiliates, being actually, instead of having a business where it relies on them to be in the forefront, they're actually people who are really great at being like contractors or guest coaching spots and things like that. So looking at the, how the energy flows, it helps them actually still hit their revenue goals, but do it in a way that makes the most sense. I love this. This is really super cool. And I'm a generator. So as a generator, you are like the generators, manifesting generators and generators, we are the majority of the society. We make up almost 70% of society. And that's because we have that sacral authority. We have a lot of energy. We want to get the work done. We're here to do that. And that makes sense because as a collective, we're going to have more workers than we're going to have leaders, right? But the great thing about being a generator is like, even though you have that battery in your back, you're here to master one thing. And you like the idea of mastering one thing. Like I always tease generators. I'm like, because you you probably have a favorite shirt and you probably have the same color shirt in like, I'm just going to go buy another one of these, right? Or you have a favorite food or a certain way you like to drink your, like your tea or your coffee. And that's okay with you until you're done with it. They are the people who can, I go in a cheesecake factory, I'm overwhelmed. Generators go in the Cheesecake Factory and they're like, this is way too much going on. A manifester can go in the, gener- uh, uh, um, the Cheesecake Factory because they have that huge menu and they want to explore the options. <laughs> We're like, no, like, don't change a good thing, honey. Like, give me what I want. And we do really well with like yes or no questions. So for instance, let's say you and Michael are going to dinner, right? And if he asks you like, oh, what do you want for dinner? You probably have to think about it and go, mm, I wonder what I have a taste for. But if he goes, Nick, do you want Chinese? You can go yes or no. Do you yeah. want Thai? Yeah. Yes or no. Do yeah. you want yeah. blah, blah, blah? Yes or no. That's our, that's how our energy works. We need that yes or no question. If you ask us something open-ended, we have to think about it. And now the person who's talking to us is frustrated. You never know what you want to eat for dinner. Why can't you just pick? You didn't give me no options. <laughs> In A or a B. <laughs> okay, give me yes. Like, give me, I can tell you if you narrow it down. Yeah, and I know that in my own business, that when it's too open, well, there's a couple things that you said. One is that I like to master something. And then when I master it, I'm ready to move on to something else. This is why I have changed my career about, quote unquote, my career about four times, because I come to a place of mastery. I get an award, I get whatever, I go to that place, and then I move on to the next thing because I almost get bored. Like, I'm done. I did it. I mastered it. Now let's move on. It's time for the next one, right? And you'll probably notice, though, even though it's like you moved on to the next thing, there is some overlap in there. Oh, oh, everything leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing. (laughs) It's it's, it's a beautiful unveiling expansion that without all of those steps, I never would be able to go on to the next thing. It's not like I'm actually moving on to another thing. I just happen to be good many things i've mastered this and now it's time to expand to something else yes and it's like okay the next level is here let me master yes. this let me get at it. i'm bringing all of this knowledge and stuff along with me and now it's time for the new thing exactly. where someone who is completely opposite of us is just the manifester itself they're here to be innovators so they are always looking for the new thing that's outside of the box they just have mm-hmm. to initiate change and move on and then give it to someone like us who are like, okay, we'll take this. Like, you'll take it and get it done. Then I'll come behind both of you as a hybrid and be like, this was a great idea. You put it together really well, but there's some holes in here. Let mm. me fix those. <laughs> that makes so much sense. And that, that, that uh-huh, uh-huh thing, the yes, no, yep. you know, that's yep. been really helpful for me in my business since learning about human design because- if I, if I don't listen to that and I do that moment of like cocking the head to the side and thinking like, mm, I get, then I get into my thoughts and then I get just lost. 
Yes. And so I'm someone who notices that, of course, because I use human design and everything with my clients, family, everyone, right? When I notice a, someone with a sacral authority start to do that, I just start to ask them basic questions and you can actually start to do this for yourself. Like just ask yourself questions that you definitively know the answer to. Like, do I have a, a black shirt? Yes. Do I have like, you know, do I have sculptures? Do I have a Buddha on my shelf? Yes. Is my wall black? No. Because you can retune your own sacral to come back out of your head and get back into your uh-huh, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's so good. And it's really helpful for business. It really, <laughs> it really is. It really is. Yeah. So going back to your journey. Okay. You then found human design. You began to bring it into your own business. And then how did you transition to teaching it? So a long time ago, when I first started this out, and I wanted it to work so bad. So we're talking like 2012, 2013, right? I was like, I had this prayer where I was like, if you allow me to get this right, I promise I will share this with whoever needs it. I Mm. I won't be a sponge. I will be the person who's like, if you have a question, I'm willing to answer it. And so as I was going through my journey, I was sharing it behind the scenes with clients. And I started realizing that as I was sharing it behind the scenes, they started getting better results. And as they started getting better results, they started getting better results with their people. And it was like this cycle of transformation that was happening. So what ended up happening was it was 2019 and I was at a live event in California and a coach at that event was asking me about my journey. And I was telling them about it just randomly in the back of the room. And in the process of telling him about it, he was like, what do you wish you would have had? And I said it and he was like, oh, well, why don't you do it? Now, when he first said that, Nick, (laughs) I went real black girl. I was like, who do you think he's talking to? Like my (laughs) brain split to the side. Like who do you think he's talking to, right? But then I was like, but why can't I do it? Yeah. And what ended up happening was, I was like, I can do this. So at first it was like, oh, I'm just going to talk about the mindset stuff. Cause we all go through these phases of it. Right. Because I didn't, I thought it was like my mindset work as a whole. So I just started talking about the mindset stuff. And as I started talking about it more and more, I started getting more and more specific about what that thing was that I was actually doing it. And like, what was the one thing, if we had to name that one thing. And I was like, you know, it was really the human design conversation. Mm. and even my clients who were behind the scenes who have been working with me for years they started going yeah it was the human design stuff for us too and I was like oh I'm going I'm going to talk about this and I kind of went about it the same way I did with sales funnels when I came into sales funnels it was 2013 2014 no one looked like me in the industry for sales funnels like that was of the Russell Brunson it wasn't even a lot of women in that space so when I went into human design I started looking around and I was having the same experience. I was like, okay, wait, don't nobody look like me. Don't nobody talk like me. But I was also at a different place. I'm not the same Kim McCarter that I was three years ago that I was like, you know, 10 years prior to that. And I was just like, oh, I'm just going to bring me because I was in that authentic space. I'm just going to bring me to the conversation. And I started talking about it and including it and wrapping it around things that I knew were important. So for my community, because they are faith-based, they grew up in the church, even if they're not in church every day anymore, you know, growing up, it's like, oh, that's certain things are witchcraft, like you shouldn't do it. So I had to have that conversation, like, you know, like, wait, that's not really what this is. Like human design relies a lot on science and medicine. If you go to the hospital and you're having a baby, that EKG can tell you when you're about to have a contraction. They can hook you up to that ECG and they know what your stress levels are. So there's no way you can't say energy is not in the human body if you also believe that Christ created the human body. Like you can't have it both ways. Like you got to pick a lane and stay in it. The other thing is I started noticing that people were talking about the same thing, but because it wasn't wrapped in the blood, as we say in the community, and didn't actually say Christ's name or whatever your higher power's name is, they rejected it. But we were doing the same methodologies and principles. Yeah. My grandmother had a, my grandmother, my auntie, really my auntie, she had a prayer closet. I have a meditation space. Like, hello. It's the same (laughs) stuff, y'all. Like, you writing out your daily prayer. I'm right. I'm journaling. Like, it's enough. It was just like different terminology around it. So first I had that conversation. Like I said, it was the self-discovery path. And so I just started having more and more conversations about 
my own path and what my clients was doing versus having more of that, like, Ooh, learn this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think what also happened too is a lot of people witnessed my shift from 2016 to like about 28, 2020, because 2018 to 2020 was a huge shift for me. Because you've heard me tell this before, like that was in April, 2018, that was when my mom passed unexpectedly. And because I had did so much work prior to that, when my mom passed, when I say unexpectedly, everyone, I mean, like my mom, we, she was like unconscious on a Thursday, 20, less than 24 hours later, my mother was gone. And I am the baby of the family. <laughs> like I am the baby by 12 years. My siblings were 12, 15 to 18 when I was born. So I was devastated and I was heartbroken. But I remember being in the um, ICU with my uncle and going, I don't know what to do. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, what does God have prepared for me? But that my biggest cheerleader had to go to the other side, make sure I do the work. Mm -hmm. And that was such a huge shift coming on the other side of that. So I was like, in 12 months, I wanted to look like, this is all the things I want to do. This is how I want to feel. These are the emotions I want. And I just started using that, uh -uh, uh uh-uh, 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 uh-uh for a solid year of following it. And so many people were like, you didn't take your mother's death the way that I would. And I was like, oh, I'm in grief. Like grief is like, you never get over the loss of someone, a parent. Like grief is gonna gonna be here until I'm gone. But so many people witnessed it and they were like, what are you doing? So I just started sharing it. And honestly, people thought I was sharing it for them, but I think I was really more sharing it for myself because it was the first year of her passing. And I just started talking about it more and more and it just became such a natural progression. It sounds to me like you were sharing it for both. They needed to hear it. Yes. yes and you needed to share it. Like, yeah. Because grief doesn't look one way. People like it, to think grief is supposed to look like such and such, but it never does. It never does. And it shows itself in many different ways. And this was a path that I'm sure helped heal for you. It was such a healing journey because it, first of all, it forced me to kind of step back from doing all the things that I felt like I had to do and just really focused on what can I do to get through this day and have room to sit down and cry when I needed to. Yeah. Like that was so important to me. That was like one of the first things that was so important to me. Right. And it was like, what can I do to make sure I'm building a life where I can actually enjoy the fruits of my labor? Like, what's the purpose of having all this money if I ain't enjoying it? Like, and it gotta be more than something than a cute office and a nice car. Like, it gotta be some other things to this out here, okay? Well, I know right? you and I both like to fly first class. We've had that conversation. <laughs> yes. Okay, and then when we go, we like, okay, how much, but how much is the suite? Is the suite available? Is there an upgrade available? Like, exactly. You know, when we go to the bar, we we are the ones who are like, what does everybody want to drink? Like, you know, we want top shelf. We want nice yeah. appetizers. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm a bougie bitch and I'm down with it. <laughs> we love it, okay? And we love it. And I was like, I have to be a way to enjoy this. Yeah. And so, like you said, yeah, I probably, I really was, because they were asking and I was open to sharing. And it then it became light bulb aha moment. Like this needs to be for more people because as a collective, the pandemic made people start to shift their thinking around what they were doing versus what they need to do to actually enjoy life. Like I always say to people, like, you know, the great resignation goes both ways. You have people who were like, I'm not going back to that job. It's not worth it. But you also have a great number of people who realize entrepreneurship wasn't for them. And so they were in a better position. It made people, it made, I feel like the idea of corporations forcing people to go back to work, like in an office that don't need to be, I'm like, first of all, you do you know how much y'all saving on commercial real estate? Yeah. <laughs> like, like the, and people are getting more work done in their homes. Why do you need to micromanage them? And so on the other side of that, I was like, this is a perfect time to really help people as I was going, as everyone was going through the pandemic. And, you know, I'm up here in New Jersey. So the pandemic looked a lot different up here than it did in the rest of the country. And I started having that conversation more to let people like help them get through that first year mm-hmm. that the program literally created itself. And I, it was just the weird, it sounds weird. Like now it sounds weird, but it was just like, I was just showing up and doing naturally what I felt like people needed to get through a tough time. And it was like, how can I pay you for this? And it was funny because, you know, we always hear like, you know, some of the higher level coaches say like, if you follow your gift, if you follow your passions, the money will come, people will throw money at you. And they were literally like, how can I coach with you? How can I work with you? 
oh, that's a little out of my budget. Do you have anything cheaper? And because I am that manifesting generator and I do like a lot of different things, I'm not the person who's like, oh, I only have one-on-one or I only have like this one program. I have one program, but there's multiple ways you can work in that program. Like you can do self-study, you can do hybrid, which is one-on-one in group, or you can just do the group. And it all became such so natural that it was like, oh, this is my million dollar idea, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I you know, fuck a good, we have a few million dollar idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. And it is. And so it is. And yep. so it and, is. Yep. And then it was also, too, like, you know, in like the different coaching programs we've been in, was like, what is that thing that you can talk about all the time? Yeah. I know I can talk about that. <laughs> right? Like, I talk a lot about business and I talk a lot about human design, but I also talk a lot about like, how our marginalized groups can actually use human design to be better at business. Because one of the things that happened in my journey is that people were trying to help me with the mindset work, but they didn't understand it from my perspective, right? So they were telling me things and it was like, I understand what you're saying conceptually, but from a tactical perspective, that will never work for me. And they were telling me that part was the limiting belief. But what I found out, I'm not coined this phrase, cultural agreements, right? There's just so many cultural agreements that keep us from even making the decision to do the things that are normal in society. So for me, cultural agreements are those beliefs that are passed down from generation to generation to generation, but they're beliefs that are literally based on the lived experiences of the generations before you and your ancestors. So they be, they've become our own troops. Now, when I first started talking about it, granted, I was only talking about it from my perspective, the Black experience. Sure. But one of the things I started to realize as I was having that conversation was more, you know, I have a very eclectic group of friends and associates, right? I started to realize like cultural agreements are, every culture has these cultural agreements. And not even from a, just a, when I say culture, I don't necessarily mean just by race. But also, like, when we think about our LGBTQ+, like, you know, disabilities, like, they come from, the cultural agreements come from so many different sectors, and giving people the grace to understand that you can have this belief, and it can be a part of who you are, it can be imprinted into your DNA, it could be your lived experience, but if you are making a decision based on this belief, and that belief no longer serves you in the moment and season that you are in, you will never get to the decision that you need to make. That's powerful. I love what what did you call it? Cultural agreement. I'm I'm going to use it and of course quote you. But I but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I that's really powerful. And I think it's a it's a conversation that many people aren't having in the sort of mindset world that because they're coming from their perspective only. And not only are they coming from their perspective only, it's also a difficult conversation yeah, to have, yeah. right? And one of the things I, I realized, especially after 20, during 2020, so many people wanted to have more conversations about like, you know, police brutality, social injustices, but they also had a fear of call out culture and cancel culture. Two things that I don't necessarily agree with, but everybody has their own opinions on it. So <laughs> we'll saw there, Kim, right? But they were, they were in yeah. fear of having the conversation. I'm not scared to have the tough conversation. I don't care if you don't agree with me. You don't got to like me to, to listen. <laughs> and I also believe like we can't grow if we don't have conversations with people who are of differing opinions. Yeah. Because how do we grow? How do we learn? You know, I have to say during that time, there was a lot of you're on this side or you're on that side. Yeah. And it was like, Disown your family if they don't agree with everything that you agree with. And I was like, that's stupid. (laughs) Me too. I was like, how am I supposed to learn something? How are they supposed to learn something? How am I supposed to learn something if we just cancel and negate anything that doesn't agree with exactly our belief? Because even within my own sphere of the fear of influence or those that are around me, we don't even agree half the time. You and I have a lot in common. And yet I'm sure we would have disagreements. 
And but and that's the great thing about it because we're like, oh, but why do you think exactly. that? Like, tell me more. Like, we're more like, tell me that's more. Exactly like, right. like, oh, I don't want to talk to yeah. you, right? And I'm like, no, we can't learn like that. That's why I said when I first started thinking about cultural agreements, I really looked at it from my perspective because what I realized was I can't shift through the limiting belief that's labeled in mindset until I let go of the sub-belief that's anchoring that belief. And so that's when I first started thinking about cultural agreements. And of course, like, you know, we're going to master a thing, even if we're innovating it, right? (laughs) And I was like, I know that there's something here. I just didn't know what it was just yet. And as I started thinking about it more, and I also started mastering more in human design, right? So now I'm at a level in human design where I'm think I know epigenetics, I know genetic ancestry, imprinting energy codes. Like I, I'm, th- I'm talking about quantum creativity. Like I'm at that level of understanding now that I was like, oh, wait. When I first came into human design, we just said conditioning. I'm at a space in human design and learning now where I'm like, oh, there's five types of conditioning. And in those five types, two of them are based literally on our genetics. One is our generational energy patterns, and then we have epigenetics. And I was like, cultural agreements, belief from generations, epigenetics, generational energy patterns. Oh, crap. I'm on to something. (laughs) I'm on to something. I may need to write a book about this. Love it. And it was like, and in the process of like, what is the outline of this? And it just became this thing. And you'll hear me talk about that even like when I'm on live stream and stuff like that, that's the thing that I'm really talking about. Like, why are you holding on to this narrative? This narrative doesn't serve you I love this on so many levels because of course, not dissimilarly, I'm working in a lot of, with a lot of generational trauma and generational healing right now in not only myself first, right? And myself first, Mm -hmm. but then with my clients and students as well. And this is so tied to that. So I cannot wait for your book. Just saying. Yes. And I'm going to give you a little bit more because you're going to need it if you're having this conversation with your own students, right? So when we think about our own generational healing, if you are someone who believes in like the quantum planes and knowing that there are multiple levels of existence, right? One of the things that we have to remember, if you believe in like the alternate planes and things, is that in a space and time, if we go through the planes, whatever your ancestors went through or the generations prior to you went through, it could be literally living and existing parallel to you, almost like that future state, that future state, right? So as we are now the generation, as we do our own healing, we also heal our ancestors. And that's so important to that. And that's why it's so important for us to do We're that. actually healing the past as well as the future, right? The in future. the right now. Yes. And mm-hmm. and it's a it's a great responsibility in many ways, but it's also a great honor. It really is. Especially because depending on like, you know, what your lineage is, you could be healing people from some of the mo- most horrific things of our times. Right. And being able to be like, I can feel that pain. I can understand why we can't let go of this or why we can't let go of that. And it's funny because sometimes when I talk about it with people, they're like, that doesn't make sense. I said the same way how you have that one kid in the family and they end up becoming like a musical prodigy. Right. And you're like, where did they get this gift from? And then all of a sudden you meet a, a distant cousin And you find out their great-great-grandfather was a musical Mm -hmm. prodigy because lineage, like it's in our DNA, like it passes down from generation to generation. And in human design, we know that we carry that generational imprint. So your, our human design, like me and yours is based on the human design of our grandparents. So because of that, it's always like adding on more and more. And that's why I think healing when you do it, like beyond just the surface level that we talk, like some some people talk about on social because they market healing, but they aren't healers. Um, I went how, do you re- <laughs> how do you really feel? How do you really feel, Kim? <laughs> <laughs> but when you really get into it, you're like, there's a reason why healing feels so joyful and soulful, yeah. but why it can also feel crushing because it's, it's the process. Yeah, it's a process and it, it's deep work and it requires you to sit fully in the uncomfortability. It's not love and light and all of that, right? That's part of it. That is part of it, but it is a deeper well than that. And it requires you to hold space, not only for you, 
as we were saying, but for the generations before and after you. So you're holding an immense amount of space and presence. And yes, that can be painful, can be very painful. It can be really, really painful. And that's one of the reasons why I, we know that those people who are truly in it to really help heal people, we also know when to push and when to give yes. grace. Right. Because, and I tell like, even in all of my coaching programs, because we do so much deep work, I'm like, oh, sis, you're going to need coaching and a therapist. (laughs) But if I have trauma response protocols, we teach trauma response protocols. And I will tell like, I am not a therapist. I am not crossing Mm -hmm. that boundary. But also because when you do this work, you never know what it's going to bring up. You never know what your unconscious is hiding, not just in your traumas, but are the traumas of people who you don't even know those traumas exist until you start until doing you're this in work. It. Until you're in it. And then that's when you really have to make sure, like, you know, you have therapy, you're protecting your mental and emotional health because that's a part of your well-being as yeah, well. Yeah, because I think it's vitally important. And this is one of the biggest tenets of my coaching business is that I meet people where they are. Yes. Where they are, really are. And that sounds like, oh, yeah, of course, as a coach, we meet people where they are, of course. But no, I mean, really, where they are. Exactly. Because, and then also knowing that in human design, for instance, we have two sides. So we have the side where you see you, Mm -hmm. and then we have the side where the world sees you. That ain't always the same, (laughs) right? And then because our conditioning tells us we have to hide our hurts, we have to hide our pains, we can't talk about our tragedies, people are just burying it deeper Mm -hmm. and deeper and deeper. And meeting people where they are is really like, even where you tell me you're one place, I'm looking two levels. Correct. Because I know that you are only telling me what you want me to know. And you're not giving me the full experience, especially if we haven't built that level of trust and rapport. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good, Kim. This is so, so good. Yeah. I really, really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey and your story and human design and digging in deep with me. I really appreciate you so much. Always have, always have, and always will. And because, you know, we have good conversations anyway. I know. (laughs) This is just like, you know, us having a cocktail and having a conversation. Okay. Like, yes, it really is. (laughs) So uh, where can everyone find you? I am MS Kim McCarter on everything. I mostly hang out on Instagram. That's my jam right now. Either in my stories, going live, or just like, you know, swing by, say hi, and tell me what you enjoyed about the episode. I love it. Yeah, that we we absolutely want. Please send us a DM letting us know what you loved about this episode because there was so much beautiful information and impact in it for the listener. So I, again, appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I'll see you soon for a cocktail. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> in person. We're going to be in person together soon for a cocktail. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you all so very much for listening today. And as we said, be sure to DM Kim and I and let us know your big takeaway. Leave a review. They matter, people. They matter. I really do appreciate you listening. See you next time.